And uh, just uh, a couple things that I can't share with you because of the, the nature of them, but uh, just blessings, answers to prayer that people have had and uh, have caused me to just, you just almost sit down and shake your head and think, Lord, can it get any better? <laughs> it's just amazing. My friend Constantino Vicente that we've been praying for, the pastor down in Florida, uh, was put in a regular room this week. He's completely off of the ventilator. That's a miracle in and of itself. They say about only 10% or 12%, I think, come off of ventilators. Uh, he's breathing on his own. He's able to talk to his family. He's still very weak. He's going to have months of recovery. But uh, from where he was to where God's brought him today, uh, boy, what a precious thing to see God answer prayer. And uh, I'll tell you, we... Uh, when you realize the fact that we don't deserve any of this, uh, that's amazing. Uh, that God would, that God would concern us. So I had a, a fellow that's studying, a friend of mine that's studying for ministry. He wants to uh, be involved in ministry, so he's going to Bible college um, by correspondence and, and over video. And he had a project due the other day, and he was asking me <clears throat> what a deist was, and you know, and we, I was trying to explain to him, you know, that. A deist believes that there is a supreme being somewhere. They just don't think that he has any interaction with man, that he just pretty much leaves man to himself. And I thought, well, what kind of a God would that be? You know, I look at the little things that he does for us, that God does for us, and that's special to me. That's that's amazing. And, you know, the psalmist wondered that. You know, he, he, he said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And I don't know about y'all, but I get thinking on that regularly. That, you know, who are we that God would that God would take an interest? But aren't you glad he did? I'm going to tell you, I'm so thankful he did. Uh, the fact that he loves us, the fact that he um, provides salvation for us. Uh, boy, he's just, it's just, can you ever say enough about him? I mean, really. Um when you get when you get so full of things like that in your heart, it's hard to keep it quiet, isn't it? Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, got frustrated because Israel wasn't listening, and he said, I'm, "I decided I wasn't even going to speak anymore in his name." He said, "I, I decided I'm quitting," <laughs> and he went off and started pouting. But he said it was shut up in my bones like a fire. He said I couldn't contain it anymore. And you know, I think that's the way we ought all to live when we when we think about the Lord. Uh, we ought to live that way, that we are so saturated with it, that, that His goodness is so overwhelming to us. The thought of His relationship with us and what He does for us and uh, the fact that He even cares for us, uh, I think ought to just fill us up so full we can't hardly stop talking about it. Uh, I, I wish it would be said of us that people get tired of us talking about God. <laughs> I wish that was the case, that they'd say, boy, don't you talk about anything else? Uh because that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? There was a lady years ago down in Florida. Her name was Sandy. I never knew her last name, but she worked at the DMV. And uh, I, I always, whenever I'd go to take our stuff from the church in, we always had a lot of vehicles. And I'd have, have I've seen like I was down there about every month registering something. And uh, we had to register all the vehicles. And she always made sure that she got my number. She'd see me walk in the door. And I knew when I got her that it was going to be at least an hour trying to get my vehicle registered. And it only took about three or four minutes to register the vehicle. But we were going to spend the rest of that time talking about the Lord. And, I mean, it was I'm not kidding you. It would take an hour. And she'd get, she was just so, so excited about God. 
And I'd sit there sometimes, I'd be looking at my watch thinking, boy, i got things to do. But she's sitting there talking about the Lord. How are you going to walk away from that? And uh, it was precious. And at the time, you know, I was younger in ministry and impatient. I had a lot of stuff to do and work and responsibilities. And I didn't recognize how precious that was until years later. And it got to where I started volunteering to go down to take uh, the registrations in because I wanted to spend that time talking with her about it. And... Um, it's wonderful, isn't it, to, to be able to talk about the Lord and uh, to see His goodness to us in small things. It may be something as small as needing some carpet for a classroom. And, uh, boy, it's just amazing, just amazing. So, well, that's, uh, that's some of the blessings, some of them, from this week. And uh, maybe some of you all have some answers to prayer, too. You'd welcome, you're welcome to share those. And uh, so let's take a few moments, and if you have a prayer request or if you have an answer to prayer, we'll be glad to, to pray for that and or rejoice in it. So, yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. That is true. He is so good. Yes, ma'am. Miss Rita? Okay. Okay. And do you, do you mind if I ask what his name is? Is that okay? Fran? Okay. All right. So the one we were praying for before. Okay. All right. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Miss Kathy? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure I heard anything about that. Okay. Okay. And this is Carmen's mom? Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, I did not know that. So, okay. So pray for the... Okay. All right. So pray for this family. All right. Did, did I see another hand? Is that what it was? Okay. All right. So pray for Brother Dan and Miss Carmen then in that. And uh, Miss Carmen's mother, I guess, is now sick. So pray for her. Um, okay. Pray for Miss Katrina. She got her a new job. And uh, so pray that goes well. So pray that she keeps, uh, keeps on keeping on. Okay. Anything else? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're coming to you this morning, and our hearts are full. And, uh, Lord, what a joy it's been this week to see your hand at work in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to always be looking for this and to be aware of uh, 
the, the things that you do, the things that perhaps even sometimes you keep us from doing. And, uh, Lord, we rejoice in all of it, realizing and understanding that everything that you allow in our lives, everything that you bring into our lives is for our good and so that we can glorify you through it. And Lord, sometimes it's through heartache and valleys. Sometimes it's through mountaintop experiences. But, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be aware enough to give you the praise and glory through all of it, that we would rejoice in our hearts. We pray this morning that you would allow your Holy Spirit to work. And, Lord, we long to, to have our hearts stirred and changed. We pray that you'd help us to become more of what we ought to be and that our hearts will be drawn closer to you, that we would love you more each and every day than our time spent with you, the time that we spend in your word throughout the week and uh, as we read and study and pray and just meditate and think upon you, that those times will become even more and more sweet as we grow and as we uh, travel along life's road. I pray that you would bless. And Lord, as we uh, look to the future and we feel very strongly that the time of your coming, your return is very, very near, I pray that you would help us because of that to be very diligent in serving and doing the work that you've given us to do, that we'd be looking for opportunities to share the gospel everywhere we go. <coughs> then, Lord, that you would allow the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit to go before us and to do the work. Father, that we would see, uh, see fruit for our labors. Lord, many of us here this morning know people that are not saved, We've been praying for them. We've been talking with them. And Lord, I pray that you would help them bring conviction where it's needed. That you would allow your word to do its work. And Lord, for these folks that we care so much about, that we're burdened for, I pray that you would uh, help their hearts to be softened before it's too late. That they would understand, that they would see Lord, may we be a shining example before them to be able to point them to you. May we be bold in speaking to them and uh, that they would see our heart and our compassion, our, our love for them and their soul. And I pray that you'd help us in these uh, days to be diligent in these areas. Bless the, the Sunday school lesson, the time that we spend together uh, studying your word. Lord, may it be sweet to us. May it be something that is encouraging and helpful to us. And, uh, Father, where needful uh, in our lives, I pray that it would bring conviction and uh, maybe even reproof if necessary. And so, Father, help us to come to your word with open hearts and open minds. And may your Holy Spirit have free reign, free course to do as he would see fit in this service. For the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would lay aside any distractions that would cause our hearts and minds to wander. And help us to focus contently and greatly upon your word be able to rightly understand and divide it and under, uh, know the truth of it. And so, Father, I pray that you help us and that you would be glorified in all that we say and all that we do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in uh, Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus chapter number 20. <laughs> And uh, we got through a little bit of it last week. We're going to be probably a couple weeks on this as we go through some of the um, some of the commands that God has given. He starts off with ten basic ones that He's given to Moses here to give to the children of Israel. This is the first time 
that these are being written down as a law. Um, I mentioned last week that up until this time, um, I think it, that most men pretty much had uh, an understanding of these laws. There is an innate sense of morality in most people, uh, I would say probably even in all people, uh, that are able to reason and understand things. Uh, there are certain things that are just part of, uh, part of just nature that we know to be right and we know to be wrong. And some people would say, uh, well, where does that sense of morality come from? Well, it comes from a holy God. And uh, a lot of people in this world don't believe that there is a moral standard, an absolute moral standard. They believe in situational ethics. They believe in uh, man-centric morality. Um, the fact that circumstances may dictate uh, what is right or what is wrong. And uh, one of the things that we've got to always hold on to is that God's law is absolute. And uh, there, are only, um, there are only certain times, and we're going to look at one of those times in this uh, section today, there are only a few times, a handful of times, where throughout history God has changed it uh, or made it a little more vivid, let's put it that way perhaps, would be the better way to term, term it, and it's changed the practice of it slightly. And we're going to look at probably one of those today if we get that far. And, um, but short of God doing that specifically in Scripture, then that law needs to remain unchanged. And uh, we want to look at those things this morning. Let's begin in verse number, um, we're going to start on... Um, uh, let's turn in verse number 6, and we'll, we'll begin there. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Uh, this has been a point of contention even in Christian circles for a number of years, and uh, most of us understand and realize that taking God's name in vain certainly is done so when it's used in the sense of profanity. Uh, people that say, oh my, and then they use God's name. And we do that, even Christians, it's amazing to me how many people I hear uh, use that name that way. Um, they begin with words like gosh. And can I tell you this, the word gosh, we know what that means or what that stands for. And in our hearts we are still taking that name of the Lord in vain many times when we say such a thing. We're just using it in place of uh, His name. And uh, it's very, very, very important that we understand that uh, taking God's name is vain, is, in vain is not just limited to profanity. Uh, that's, that's kind of the easy one. That's the one that Christians like to point to. And, you know, somebody I've heard people say, uh, that I was standing in a checkout line and somebody was using the Lord's name in vain and I spoke up to them and I told them, uh, you shouldn't uh, do that, don't talk about my God that way and, and standing up for it. And I think we ought to. I think there ought to be a boldness in uh, upholding God's name and the reverence of it. But there's a couple of other areas that we don't often think about and the reason is because uh, we tend to practice this in some cases in our own lives. There are other ways to take the Lord's name in vain. Being taken in vain doesn't just mean profanity. It means to give no value to it, to use it without giving credence to it. Uh, years ago when the scribes 
would write Scripture, and especially as they wrote Old Testament law, they would, as they came to the name of God, they would get up and they would wash themselves. And they would put on a new cloak or a, new, a clean uh, outfit. And then they would go and get a brand new quill that had never been used before. And then they would come back to the table and they would dip it in the ink and they would write the name of God and then they would go on. And the next time they got, and maybe it was the next line or the next sentence, they come to his name again, they would go through the whole situation again. This was the level of reverence for the name of God that they used to have. And now we do not reverence His name as we ought. Um, one of the things that, that really bothers me, and uh, there are people that say, well, yeah, uh, Brother Greg, I'm, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, and then they'll talk about the man upstairs. Or um, down south, uh, I heard one fellow at one time call him the good old boy. And, uh, and I'll tell you, uh, he is a holy God. That is not his name. Uh, God is His name, and, and we refer to Him as such. Jehovah uh, is one of the names that we know Him by. Those things ought to be precious to us. The Lord God Almighty ought to be precious to us. There ought to be reverence around that name. And uh, so we, we normally look at it as profanity, but I want to give you two other areas that perhaps we, we tend to be a little lax in this area. Uh, the first one is in frivolity. Favality. Sometimes we are jesting or joking and we'll use God in the, the course of the joke. And uh, we've got to be so careful of this. We need to be uh, understanding that, that there is a reverence to His name. And uh, God puts a, a, big, a big importance on it. Look with me. Hold your place here for a minute. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter number 6. The disciples have asked the Lord to teach them how to pray. And uh, let's look in, <coughs> excuse me, let's look in verse number 5. And when thou prayest, notice he doesn't discuss about whether we should pray or shouldn't pray. Have you noticed that? He starts off with when thou prayest. It's just supposed to happen. Can I tell you this, and this isn't part of the point, but you know, our prayer life is just the norm. That's what's expected of us. It's not extraordinary. It's not something exceptional. It's just something that ought to naturally happen when we get saved. He says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the what? The what? The hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. I, I want to just stop here for a moment, and I want to be very careful with this. When we pray, we pray... To God, we're not praying before men. We're not praying so men can hear us. Whether it's a public prayer or a private prayer, when we pray and say, Father, immediately we are ushered into the throne room of God. And we're not talking for the sake of people that are listening. We're conversing with God Himself. And I've, I've, I've heard people, and I've, I'm from down south, and a lot of people down south get in this habit. I, I don't know why or how, 
and maybe some of you have heard this before, but every other word is the name Lord or Father or God, it seems like, and they constantly are calling that name out through the praying. And they may say it two or three hundred times in a prayer. It just seems like, and Lord, and Lord this, and Lord, the, and, and Father this, and dear God this. And can I tell you this? That's not the way we talk to people. Uh, we, don't, we talk to God in, in, in a way that we would normally talk because we're talking to Him. This isn't, we're, we're not more spiritual in our praying by mentioning His name more often in that prayer. We're, we don't have a more powerful prayer life because we call His name in prayer so many times in that prayer. We've got to be careful of this. There's vain repetitions that are used for the sake of men's ears that are not part of our conversation and our heart communing with God. We've got to be so careful of this. But he calls them, he, he talks about them that are hypocrites here in verse number 6. What is a hypocrite? Just, just a general definition. What, what is a hypocrite? Somebody help me out. When we talk about a hypocrite, what are we talking about? What was it? Okay. And it doesn't even have to be about spiritual things. But a hypocrite's pretty much somebody that claims one thing, but in actuality is not that. Tries to look like they're one thing, and really on the inside they're not. They're different. We would call that person a hypocrite, somebody that claims one thing and lives a different way. We, we, we talk about taking the name of God in vain, and most of the time we think that's profanity, and it is. There certainly is that, that concept. But then there's also frivolity, jesting too easily or carelessly with it. And thirdly, there is hypocrisy. Did you know hypocrisy can take the name of the Lord in vain? To claim that we're a child of God... And then live like the world? We have misused God's name. The sad fact of the matter is because we're all sinners, to some degree all of us have hypocrisy in us. All of us desire to live a certain way, but we're always not able to. So we get to this passage in verse number 7. He says, When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, and I want you to notice the next phrase, Hallowed be thy name. His name is holy. His name is precious. His name is to be reverenced. We've got to be so careful because we, as Christians, tend to put the brakes on when it comes to profanity. But how often do we jest and take the name of God lightly? Or how often do we live in such a hypocritical way that we take the name of God lightly? All three of these, I believe, should be considered as part of taking His name in vain, giving no value to it. To come to a person and say, I'm a child of God, and then to live like the world takes away from the value of being one of God's children. It detracts from His name. It detracts from who He is. Speaking frivolously about Him takes away from who He is. 
we need to have a return of, of reverence for God. We live in a generation, a, a day where, uh, I, I'll tell you this, I was, I was at a camp, a summer camp, uh, probably been about 15 years ago, took a group of young people. They had an open-air tabernacle, uh, just a steel building roof with the, the beams, but no walls, had no walls around it. They had a sawdust on there, and they had a bunch of folding chairs. And when you wanted to have some shade or something during the summer between the activities, you could go in there and sit and have some shade. And uh, I had never really given a whole lot of thought to it, and so we went over to the canteen, and we bought some sodas to some of the kids and I, and we walked over and we sat down on the edge of the, the tabernacle there on the last row of chairs and were enjoying the shade and a nice cold soda. And one of the workers at the camp came up and said, could we ask you to step outside of the tabernacle while you drink your drinks? And I had never given any thought to that. And he went on to explain. He said, we understand there's nothing sacred about sawdust or metal buildings. But he said, we like to think that what goes on inside this place is sacred and it's holy. And he says, we want to make sure that when people come to this place, they don't come to it casually. They come to it expecting God to do something in their midst. And he began to explain that. And boy, what a great job he did with the kids. And, and I was sitting there, and it was stirred my heart. And, you know, there's not anything sacred about material and buildings, and we know that. Chairs and carpet. But what happens in a place is certainly something that ought to be revered and reverenced. Uh, got to be careful of some of this. We live in a day where I think churches have become so entertainment crazed at dry, trying to draw a crowd that they have so disrespected the reverence towards God. Uh, it's all become about the next big idea or the next big gimmick or the next big uh, promotion. And, you know, the Bible tells us that if we'll lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll draw all men unto Him. And we're busy lifting up all kinds of things many times in our churches. And we tend to lose that reverence. I, I just want to share those things with you because I think, uh, and, and it's something I think that all of us face. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll cut up or we'll, we'll talk lightly about the Lord. And we've got to be so careful of these things. Are we, are we causing Him to be diminished in the sight of others? So we've got to be so careful of this. Uh, we'll go on to verse number 8. <clears throat> Not taking the name of our Lord in vain, the Lord thy God in vain. Number 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger uh, that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Uh, we have a, sometimes people that will come and say, well, we meet on Sunday, we should be meeting on Saturday because God told us where to keep the Sabbath and to make it holy. This is one of those things that when God died on, when Christ died on the cross, 
some things were changed in regards to this. And I want to look at some things. Some of the most uh, vivid and, and profound uh, uh, keeping of the law type of Jews, even to this day, are very, very careful uh, about their Sabbath. Um, in the Old Testament, many times they were, not, they were not allowed to carry things. They were not allowed to walk a certain distance. And when I say they couldn't carry things, they weren't allowed to carry things in certain ways. Um, they weren't allowed to use the, their hands, but they could use the backs of their hands. They could put something on the back of their hands and they could carry it. They could carry something in their ear. Uh, they would allow that to be taken uh, as something they could do lawfully. They had some really kind of bizarre things that they, over the years they came up with trying to spell out clearly what does this really mean about keeping the Sabbath and not doing any work. They could carry things on their feet, but they weren't allowed to carry them in their hands. They weren't allowed to tie a knot in a rope, except for the women who were allowed to tie the sash or the belt that they wore for their cloak. They were allowed to tie that. Women were allowed to tie that. And so if they were to draw water on Sabbath, they could not tie a rope to the pitcher, but they could tie their sash to the pitcher and lift the pitcher out of the well. Uh, a lot of things that they put into practice trying to um, clarify, if you will, maybe God's command. God's command was a picture. It was something that was uh, to be uh, an illustration of something that was yet to come. We're going to look at some of those here <clears throat> in just a minute. Let's start off in Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to see where God begins this whole thing. Genesis chapter number 2. <clears throat> and we're going to begin in verse number 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Notice what he says in verse number 1. The work was what? It was finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he did what? Rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Was God tired? Did he have to work? Or did he have to rest? Did he need the rest at this point? No, he wasn't exhausted at all. Why is he giving us uh, this, this picture in Genesis chapter number 2 when it says God rested? Why in the world do you think it was for his good? <laughs> if it wasn't for God's good, who do you think he's doing this for? He's doing it for man. Man was created to labor for six days. Look what it says here in verse number 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now keep that in mind. He rested because the job was what? Finished. Okay? Now we come to Exodus chapter 20, and notice this. He says in six days, verse number 9, Shalt thou labor and do all thy work. We don't procrastinate. We get it all done in the six days. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work. Now, it was the practice in Old Testament days that this did not apply, that many things uh, did not apply to, like the women or the servants, uh, slaves, children. But this was one of those laws that God made sure. He said, I want everybody to be included in this. I don't care what your culture says. Everybody has this as one of the, the things that they're to be uh, partakers of. That's important uh, because when we see what it's showing, uh, there would be some people that would say, well, salvation was only for a few. But it really wasn't, was it? It was for every man, woman, child, slave, servant. It didn't matter. 
When Jesus was on the cross, just before He gave up the ghost, He said three words. It is what? Finished. The work that He had come to do was finished. Now, look with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter number 2. And Again, we said earlier on that there were a handful of things over uh, the course of time that were given in the Old Testament that we no longer practice in the New Testament. This is one of those things, at least not in the way that, um, that it was given in the Old Testament. Look with me in Colossians chapter number 2, and verse number, we'll start in verse number, oh, let's go to verse number 16, I think will be a good place. I was going to start in uh, verse 17, but I think we'll back up here. Knowing that a man is not justified by the what? He's not justified by the what? Galatians 2.16. Did I give you the wrong passage? Galatians 2.16. What What I say? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no wonder y'all were looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. You ready? Everybody there? Knowing that a man is not justified by the what? Works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the what? Faith of Christ. And not by the what? Works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And this is probably where I got Colossians from. Now go over to the Colossians. So we are not justified by the works. Keep that in mind. We are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go to Colossians chapter number 2. We'll begin in verse number, let's see, probably 16. We'll stay in 16 again. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a what? An holy day. Or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. We're told not to therefore judge someone or we're not to be judged in this. Which are, notice this, verse number 17, which are a shadow of what? Things to come. But the body is of Christ. The shadow of things to come. Entering into the rest of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having finished the work. Now, notice here in Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 9. Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how ye turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. In other words, he was saying, you're not to be under bondage of these things any longer. We're not to be under the yoke of this. There, there is another thing that is given. In, in fact, let's just take a moment to look in. Um, uh, let's go to Mark chapter number 16 for sake of time. I won't have to miss a little bit of this. But let's go to Mark chapter 16. And verse number 9. So what happened is, when Christ rose from the dead, the bondage of that was not uh, any longer. We know that from the Apostle Paul, that we were to keep the Sabbath day. 
In fact, even during Christ's ministry, there were some times that he and or the disciples went into the, the field and got ears of corn. He gave the illustration of the man whose ox was in the ditch. Um, and Christ was trying to say that law was given as a foreshadowing of another principle, and that is the work that Christ has done, and we are to rest in the finished work of Christ. And so we get to Mark chapter 16, look in verse number 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had, said, had cast out seven devils. So the first day of the week becomes the time that the disciples begin to meet because, number one, it was the day that the Lord rose from the dead. He arose on the first day of the week. Now look with me at John chapter number 20. Why else do we look at the first day of the week now instead of the Sabbath? John chapter number 20. And verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, uh, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. We find that the first day of the week was also the time that the Lord met with the disciples. So he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. He's met with the disciples on the first day of the week. Now look with me, if you will, in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these uh, which speak Galileans... And I, I've got written the wrong reference down here again. <laughs> uh, guys, I'm sorry about this. It is something that has happened and I cannot do it. Uh, it seems like sometimes get it right. Let me see if I miswrote a word, uh, digit here. Uh... No, it's not there. I apologize. I'll have to get you that reference. Let's go to this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Verse number 2. And upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So it's, it's understood in this passage that they were to gather themselves together on the first day of the week. So... Again, they transitioned from the Sabbath to the time of the first day of the week. Even Paul said, you're not to be bound by these days, these months. These are things we do in liberty. We do because we get to, not because we have to. We don't meet on Sundays because we have some obligation to do it. We do it because we have great liberty to do it. We do it because we love God with all of our hearts. And we do it because it was the example of the early church to meet and to gather together on the first day of the week. Now, that being said, we do have another principle taught in Exodus chapter number 20 with regards to the Sabbath day. And notice with me in verse number 9, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 9, this is something that we do have to keep in mind. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and in it thou shalt not do any work. There is to be... The concept of working and laboring for six days and resting on the seventh. Uh, whether that be a Monday to Friday, whether that be or Monday to Saturday, or whether that be a Sunday to... It doesn't matter what set of days so much because we're not under the bondage of an holy day or the Sabbath. But there is a, a principle giving that we are to labor for six days and rest for one. 
the body was made for that. God designed this that way. There actually have been scientific studies done that if you work five days, you're not as efficient. If you work seven days, you're not as efficient. The most efficient way for men to work is six days and one day off. Um, it's very, very important that we understand this. Some people, uh, you meet them, and uh, they're like a high-mileage car. Have you ever seen that? Some people would call them workaholics. Their bodies are shot. They've, they've been worn down because they never had a day off. They never took time to rest. Some of you, uh, I, I know I've heard, and I've been there too when I was younger, we thought, boy, that's, that's the way to be super spiritual. You just keep right on working, and you keep plowing away, and you never take a minute to rest. But it's interesting to me that after Jesus many times would preach, the Bible says he would, he would depart and go away for a season. He would go away for a spell. And even though he was God in his earthly flesh, he had that period of coming apart for some time of rest. We've got to be very careful of this, understand these things. And so uh, understand the keeping of the Sabbath is not something that we are under bondage of like we used to be, but it is now something that we do uh, by way of finding a day that we uh, find for rest or setting it aside for the things of the Lord. I like it being on Sunday. Uh, it's a wonderful time. And uh, we get to come, and folks, y'all can come on in. You don't have to wait for us. And uh, but uh, we don't have to. We don't have to um, pick which day it is. Uh, we get a whole day on Sunday. We can set it aside and uh, rest, put our hearts and thoughts on the things of the Lord, and it certainly is of enjoyment to us. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week as we finish up, and then we'll get into some new uh, commandments. But understand this: that we are not under bondage for the Sabbath any longer. Uh, again, that is a New Testament principle. It was there to foreshadow the finished work of Christ and the fact that we are to rest in His finished work. And um, so I want to keep that in, in our minds. Let's go ahead and be dismissed in prayer, and then we'll be ready here in about 10 or 12 minutes. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here. We pray that you'll bless and use uh, the time that we're here together, a time of fellowship, and uh, the time of singing songs that will uh, lift you up and draw our hearts close to you. Father, I pray that you'll bless the service to come and uh, work in our hearts. May you stir us afresh and anew. And uh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit have his will and way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.